RWJ Barnabas Health Telemed offers you two convenient ways to see a doctor anytime, anywhere, without having to come in for an appointment. If you're in need of urgent care, you can use our app to connect with a provider 24-7, right on your smartphone, tablet, or computer. Or you can use our website to schedule a virtual visit with an RWJ Barnabas Health Medical Group provider or specialist. And you can even register as a new patient. Book an appointment online at rwjbh.org slash telemed. Your safety has always been our top priority, and we've taken every precaution. So don't delay your care any longer. Get started today at rwjbh.org slash telemed. RWJ Barnabas Health. Let's be healthy together. Hello, everyone. I'm Sam Kassan, and welcome to this week's episode of Speak of the Devils, presented by RWJ Barnabas Health, the official healthcare provider of the New Jersey Devils. Once again, we have the A-team. I'm joined by Amanda Stein. Amanda, the draft is this week. It's coming up. The end of the week, we've done so much prep work, <laughs> all these interviews, all these uh, podcasts. It's finally here. The week is finally here. How excited are you to get this going and find out who the Devils are going to actually take with their picks? Love it. But first of all, like, I feel like people are going to start getting jealous that we call ourselves the A-team. <laughs> like, like, people are going to be like, hmm, what are they thinking? Anyhow, um, I'm very excited about the NHL draft. It's funny. It's like not something that I think that much about until like we get to like a month before because we're so ingrained in the season and what's going on with the season. So for me, um, this is just like a fun part of the summer because it, we get to talk about something so concrete. And obviously, we've gotten a lot of different opinions from different guests throughout this month as we led up into the draft. And we've got another great guest today coming on, Sam Cosentino from Sportsnet, their draft analyst, draft expert, if you will, sharing some insights with us. And uh, I'd love to hear his opinion. Amanda, are you excited to hear what uh, Sam has to say? So I love Sam. Um the other Sam, not you, Sam. Okay? Well, not me. Like I, li- I like you. You're okay. One day. Um, but what I really appreciate about Sam Cosentino is that you know he doesn't have Twitter. He doesn't have social. Like he he doesn't. And I think that that's incredible. It not only in this day and age, but especially in the day and age of like how much scouting is done. And in terms of like presenting things on Twitter, I mean, I'm sure he has one that's sort of like lurking in the dark where he's looking at other things, but I just love that about Sam. Um, But yes, I'm very excited to talk to him. We always catch up with him at this time of year. So without further ado, here he is. Sam, first of all, thank you so much for joining us and taking some time out of your day to be on the Speak of the Devils. Yeah, really happy to do it. Uh, we got it going there last year, had a lot of fun with it. So uh, nice to be back for another edition as we get ready for the draft. And what are your thoughts on this upcoming draft? I know it's been a crazy season. I know you cover the CHL really closely. An entire league was shut down. I mean, are we going to have a good read on this draft? Because we're getting very disputed uh, opinions. Some some people say, hey, everyone's very confident in the draft board like any other year. And then other people are saying, hey, this is going to be a free-for-all. Uh, it's been a lot of fun, actually, because, uh, you know, I'll, I'll tend to check out other lists and see what's going on, what other people are saying. And, you know, you'll see some things that are a little bit eye opening to you or maybe something that you hadn't considered before. So it allows you to kind of dig in and, and do a little bit more research. But uh, overall, I feel pretty confidently about the top 10 uh, in this class for sure. And then after that, I think it's going to get wild. I think uh, it's going to 
there's going to be some chaos, a lot of random picks. Um, and, and simply based on the year that we've had, you know, there's, there's a lot of things that go into it. Some teams have reduced their scouting staffs. Other teams have relied solely on video. Some teams have really good coverage in Europe where they were able to play a little bit. Uh, other teams don't. Uh, a lot of teams uh, scout the underage year, so they would have created a book starting a year out, which would have been almost a full season if you go back to 18, 19. And other teams simply don't do that. So it's such a wide variance of what we're seeing uh, of what all the different teams do. I think one thing we can safely say is that we'll probably see a little bit more of an influx or an influence, if you will, uh, based on teams, video coaches and video scouting staffs, as well as the analytics part. I think that's going to play a little bit bigger uh, of a role this year. So all in all, I'm, I'm looking forward to it a little bit nervous because of how random it might become when you're sitting up on the desk and you're trying to scramble to find notes on a player, but uh, working hard to do my due diligence to, to make sure we have it all covered. Does that make it almost more exciting, though, the, the unknown aspect of it? Like, this this could go anywhere. The, the team up picking 12th might pick the guy 68th on the board. You just have no idea. Yeah, it's going to be pretty wild. And, again, I feel pretty confident about the names inside of 10. There might be a variance of where they go, but I think there are 10 names that we can identify there. But after that, for sure, that that random activity, that chaos that you talk about, I think is going to be evident right on through. And, and maybe even to day two, once we get into the second round, You'll probably see some guys that were projected to go in the first, a lot more of them uh, that will go in the second round. And I guess the other element to it is you're looking at some re-entry players and, and uh, that might become a little bit more popular because you would have had built a book on those players previously. So, you know, the 19 and 20 year olds where you would have had a chance to see them a lot more. Maybe there's more certainty in those players and maybe later in, in the draft, you start to see some re-entry guys. Who to you sort of sticks out as a re-entry guy that might, you know, who, who maybe has uh, climbed up the ladder of someone's draft chart? Well, it's, it's funny that you say that because we look at, at, at uh, Igor Shinikov from last year, and he was one of those re-entry guys. It's not often that those players go in the first round. You think about uh, Tanner Pearson being another one of those guys, uh, you know, a ways back uh, to, to the LA Kings. So when it comes to this year, um, I don't think you're going to see any of those names in the first round, but the, you know, maybe like a Justin Hall in, in Lethbridge, uh, you know, that type of player uh, might be one of those guys who sticks out, but I don't, uh, you know, in terms of the names, in terms of the depth of draft, I don't have one off the top of my head. I don't know if we're going to see that so much in the first round, but right. I do think it comes into play on, on day two. So when it comes to that first overall pick, Owen Power, is there any yeah, debate? I don't think so. There might've been some debate before the world championships, but he goes uh, and plays with Canada and, you know, his progression through the worlds is pretty interesting. He got on in the first period, or at least the skates touched the ice in the first period for three seconds. And in that two, nothing loss to Latvia, he played a total of about eight minutes in the fourth game for Canada out of 10, Colin Miller got hurt and that opened up a spot as powers ice time slowly started to increase and by the end of the tournament, he's on the second pairing with Troy Stetcher. He's playing, you know, upwards of 20 minutes a game, sometimes as many as 25. He's out in the final minute in important situations. Um, and I think the way in which he handled himself there under NHL coaches and with a bunch of NHL players, I think that solidified it for me. And, you know, at the end of the day, if you take all that away and you're looking at a six foot six, 215 pound defenseman, I think it's pretty tough to, to pass that by as the first overall pick especially at his age when you know there's way more to come in that frame, right? So I, I'm wondering how the addition of Seattle here, picking number two, 
can transform a draft because it's not like you're like, okay, well, I know their system really needs this. They're literally, literally starting from scratch. So how does that dynamic change right away at that number two spot? Yeah, no question. I mean, it's going to start at the expansion draft to, to see what kind of deals Ron Francis can cook there. And then you're going to get the basis for what the team is, is going to look like through that. No doubt there will be a goal of, uh, you know, of acquiring more picks. You want to have as many of those as possible as you can, even with the uncertainty of this draft. But you also want to make sure that your team is set up down the line. So you don't want to mortgage any of that future. You maintain your 2022 and 2023 picks uh, and, and then you kind of move forward. So I think really what's going to happen and what's going to define where Seattle will go will happen with the expansion draft. And then we'll get a, a sense of what their draft picks look like for 2021. The one thing I can say pretty confidently about their group is, you know, I, I look at some of the people that they've hired and there's a significant number of guys who have uh, worked as head scouts in other organizations before, whether it's Robert Cron or Mike Dawson, um, Tony McDonald, all with the Carolina connection through Ron Francis. Jeff Crisp uh, is in there. He's he's done that sort of thing with Buffalo uh, before. So when you look at all, uh, all of what they've put together, I have a lot of trust in their scouting staff. But the one thing that Ron Francis has traditionally done, if you go back and you look at the, the footprints uh, on Carolina's team today, D heavy, D heavy, D heavy. So I'd be hard pressed to seeing them not go to a defenseman at number two as, in terms of the way the rest of it sets up. I think that's determined by the expansion draft. And it's interesting because I went back to your mock draft from about three weeks ago and you have a brother of one of the Devils players in Brant Clark. I, I wasn't going to say Luke Hughes because you actually have <laughs> him going to New Jersey, but those are two pretty high end brothers who were expected to go pretty high up there. Are they not? Yeah, no question. And the way I look at it is you have those four defensemen at the top. I think we can safely say that power is going to be gone at number one. And then two, three, four, you'd be looking at Edmondson. You'd be looking at Clark and you'd be looking at Hughes as the next three best defensemen. And so in Jersey's situation, it is kind of neat that they have the opportunity to pick a, a brother in two different instances. And that would be kind of cool. But it's not because of the, you know, the nepotism connection that's going to allow those guys to be picked at number four by New Jersey. It's because of their merit and because of how good each of those players are. And they are a little bit different. I mean, when I look at Luke Hughes, you compare him to his brothers. The, the, the two things that really stick out are the edge work, the skating, um, and of course, their confidence with the puck. They're not afraid to do anything with the puck at any time. And then when you look at how they differ a little bit, well, you know, Luke is a defenseman and much in the same of the mold as the rest of the family, but he's a little bit bigger than the brothers. I think he defends a little bit better than, than Quinn does at this age. Um, but I like the offensive upside that he shows. And so that's a plus when it comes to Hughes. When it comes to Brant Clark, right shot defenseman, they're always coveted, plays with a lot of moxie in his game, played forward up until age 11. So maybe he sees the game a little bit differently than some. Um, but a guy who can rush the puck, who um, has no problem being a part of the rush at all times. I think he's a guy who can run your power play. The patience, the poise in which he plays really belie a veteran uh, of someone a lot older. And I think the one thing that's pretty cool about Brant Clark is that he faced some adversity. You know, a lot of times in the CHL, European players come over and everyone expects the world of them, but they don't realize how difficult it is. You're going to completely new country, new ice surface, food, language, all of these things are barriers, which Brad Clark had to experience, although he got to do it for a month with his brother Graham. 
over in Slovakia. And I think that little bit of adversity that he faced is going to serve him well here moving forward. And of course, uh, played particularly well for Canada at the under 18s. Well, interesting you bring that up because on the mock draft that Amanda just cited, you do have the Devils taking Luke Hughes. But on your overall ranking, you have Luke eighth overall. So I wonder why you think the Devils, if you think the players down there, do you, do you think the Devils just kind of like that blood connection? Or do you think they just kind of value what he adds to the table more so than maybe other guys can? Well, you know, it's always a fascinating thing because sometimes there is some confusion between what you look as the rankings, which would be my personal opinion of where I think the player uh, you know, is ranked amongst the peer group. And then you have the mock draft where you have to switch your thinking a little bit and you're trying to think along with the team and what the team is going to do. So when I look at the Devils situation in particular, uh, I think about some of their young forward groups that have come along. You know, you see McLeod, Studenich, Bastion, um, Sharon Kovic, uh, all these guys that are starting to come along from the forward group. And then I look at Muhammad Doolin, who was their first round pick, one of three last year, the lone defenseman of the, of those uh, three with, with Holtz and Mercer. And I think that he's more of a project guy and a guy who's probably going to be that big, nasty guy, something that I think New Jersey can use down the road. So where does that bring us? It brings us back to today. And what are we looking for? Ty Smith, great year. Probably a guy who's going to be part of your power play moving forward. But I think that really dynamic puck moving defenseman and the guy who's you know, in on the rush all the time and really offensive minded is that type of guy. So I would pick Hughes and Clark to be those guys, as opposed to Edmondson, who might be a little bit more uh, of the rear guard type with some offensive upside power we've already put out of the mix. And then I look at the need of, of, you know, trying to fill that defenseman void. So yes, there are some guys coming. New Jersey's had tons of picks here over the last couple of years. They've gone in every direction, you know, whether it's Nico Dawes or Akira Schmid and goal and moving to the defense and the forwards we talked about with Holtz and Mercer. So identified uh, New Jersey as, as a team that would be looking to fill that defenseman void with that high end guy. And so that makes Clark or Hughes really reasonable picks. And I also think that when you have that, that brother connection, you know what the family's like. You have a pretty good sense for what the brother is like in terms of what their work ethic is going to be. And you would hope that would be the same for the brother. But you also get all that inside inside information that you might not get uh, with another pick. And in this draft where there is some of that uncertainty, that inside information, that additional information you have, I think, is very valuable. You talked about this being a defensive heavy draft and you have the first four teams drafting defensemen with obviously the, the Devils taking Hughes. But if they don't take Hughes, I mean, there's a lot of forwards in that scenario that would drop, you know, uh, I mean, a Benny Ayers would be available in Eklund, all those guys. Do you think maybe New Jersey, if three defensemen go off the board, do they say, hey, we got a lot of great forwards. Maybe we take one of those guys. Yeah, it is possible that they could go down that road. I mean, Beniers is a guy who adds a little bit of size at that center position. So if you're looking at Hughes and he sure is being the anchors here moving forward, maybe slightly on the smaller side. Uh, when you get to Beneers, 6'2", really dependable guy who would probably slot in behind the two of them, you know, two or three years down the road as that number three guy. Uh, it's that marriage of will and skill that Beneers brings to the table, as he did with the University of Michigan this year, um, to kind of give you the sense of what he's going to be like. The other guy's a little bit more dynamic and maybe an area in which New Jersey needs to address down the road is that pure goal scoring ability. So who would that be? That would be Dylan Gunther. And I think Gunther is known for, that as his calling card. I mean, uh, a fantastic rookie season in 1819, uh, you know, playing with a first rounder like Jake Neighbors of St. Louis. So he has the ability to play with high end players. He also showed you that at the under 18s, but it's his goal scoring ability that jumps. And then you're looking at Eklund. And I think Eklund is more along the types of the guys that is already in place in New Jersey. So 
as talented as he may be at number four might be a little aggressive there, but I do think both Beniers and, um, and uh, Dylan Gunther would be forwards that if that's the way that Paul Castron is looking, then those two guys would probably be the two. Now, when we've had a chance to speak with other draft experts, we've been talking at hypotheticals when it comes to the second uh, first round pick for New Jersey. But now we know it's going to be 28th overall. So now we can actually zero in on a group of players that might be there. And I know you said after the top 10, it's a bit of a wild card or yeah, a bit of a wild card of who might be. But what can you kind of tell us about where things are at that 28th pick? Well, typically the strategy is, and every head scout and general manager will tell you that they want to go with the best player available. But I think with some of the uncertainty that this draft presents to us, that that may not necessarily be the case when you get to the pick that late in the first round. And so at that point, you're probably looking more to address a need. And, you know, you talk about uh, Mackenzie Blackwood uh, and, and looking at him as being the guy moving forward. Dawes and uh, Kira Schmid were two guys that I identified a little bit earlier, but maybe there's a situation where one of the goalies is still left on the board. And people always ask me, well, I'm not a big draft a goalie in the first round type of guy. I do think this year is a little different, but I also think the best time to draft a goalie is when you have one, because you're projecting a goaltender maybe five years down the road, as opposed to your skaters as three years down the road. And so if you're looking at Blackwood and you know, you assume that he's going to be the number one moving forward, Maybe it's like Braden Holpe, that five-year window in which Washington won a cup and then Holpe went on his way. Samsonov was ready to take over. Maybe it's a situation where you look at a Sebastian Costa, the Edmonton Oil Kings, or Ben Goudreau, who goal, uh, was the goalie for Canada, winning gold medals at the under 18. The other way in which you can go is maybe you can take a little bit of a risk. Um, a guy like Sean Barron's, again, that dynamic puck-moving defense and that we talk about, that if you can't address that at four, or you want to back that up with someone who's a little bit more risky, a smaller guy, but really super dynamic offensively. I think someone uh, like him is available there. Maybe it's a situation where they want to look at the grit and the size. It's a Strom grin. Maybe it's a Zach Dean out of Gatineau who adds a little bit of that bite and grit to the mix. So there's a lot of different ways you can go with that spot. I, it, personally, I would be listening to offers on that spot to acquire more picks later or to defer that pick to 2022 or 2023. I'd definitely be interested in doing that if, if I were Tom Fitzgerald. Uh, but the fact is you can go a variety of ways there. And, and I would look at, you know, potentially a goalie and, and maybe uh, maybe addressing the, the grit situation. So I'm glad you brought up, you know, potentially packaging it or moving it. Um, not that I have any inside information on that, but my curiosity sort of uh, sparks in that because often those first round picks are very coveted. But is it different this year because of how uncertain it is? Are they less valuable in a sense or maybe more valuable? I don't know. Like, I, it might sound like a stupid question, but I'm no. just wondering, like, how the draft and, you know, scouting has been this year can affect the, you know, the currency of a first round pick. Yeah, I, I agree with you there, man. And I, I think it's devalued this year. And that's the general sense I get from, you know, the scouts that, that I talk to. There are some teams that do it and do it really well. And so they're feeling that, hey, we're going to get that extra shot in the first round because we've identified someone there that we think is definitely worth more than what we have them at. So typically those teams are the teams that, have scouted well. Why do they do that? Because they probably scouted the underage year or maybe the double underage year. Uh, they have some inside information. B 
be it in Europe or through their North American connections. Uh, and they're confident in their ability that even though they weren't able to get in the rink and see things live as much as they would have liked, that they're confident in their ability to blend whatever live viewings they had with all the video scouting that they did. So I tend to think, however, that they're devalued a little bit. And if you were going to move a pick like number 28, you might have to sweeten the pot if you're going to try and move it to a, a 2022 or a 2023 but I'd be happy to do that based, especially in New Jersey's situation where they've had a boatload of picks the last couple of years and they, and they do have some prospect capital making its way towards the National Hockey League. So I'd be interested in that, no doubt. And it kind of actually makes me think of something, might be a little off topic, but uh, Amanda sparked my interest with that question, which is you said everyone kind of knows the top 10, top 12 guys. And after that, it's a crapshoot. So normally a team has an idea like, all right, we really like this guy. We think he's going to go in this range. If he's available, we might trade up to get him, but now teams don't know where anyone's going to go or where yeah. things are going to fall. So because of that, do you think general managers be a little more antsy and try to make moves? Or do you think they'll be a little more hesitant to try to make moves? How, how much action do you think you'll see on this day as far as trading up and down wise? Yeah, I, I think there's going to be some action. I, I, I do. And, you know, I, I tend to say that every year. I mean, we're at, we have the additional element of the expansion draft. So depending on what happens there, it may open up some positional need and it may open up uh, uh, for some teams to acquire additional picks based on what they have to do to protect the current players that they want to keep. So that element, uh, I think, does add an extra layer of some of that random chaos that we've talked about, you know, going back to the top of the podcast. So, uh, yeah, I, I tend to think that there is going to be some action here. And again, for the same reason, you have a probably a handful of teams that are really confident in their ability to, to scout and, and do it well. And then you have your other teams that are saying, you know what, we're going to defer, defer, defer. If I look at Pittsburgh or Toronto, I think they each have three picks in this draft. I look at Toronto, I think six picks uh, all told over the next two drafts. Uh, and so, you know, that's probably a situation that's been done with purpose to it, knowing that we're going to be able to scout years down the road with more certainty to it, more live viewings. Uh, and so, yeah, I do think we're going to see some action. Go ahead, Sam. <laughs> no, go ahead, man. So I'm looking over your shoulder and I can see CHL behind you. And obviously it's been a very unique year for a lot of players in the CHL, uh, particularly the OHL, which, which the Ontario Hockey League didn't play at all. Quebec Major Junior League did get pretty much a full season in there. So I'm wondering if you've talked to some of the players who were in their draft year in the OHL and how they're kind of feeling about this situation where you know, some were able to play other places, but not everybody was. So how do you think they're feeling about what's coming up in the next couple of weeks? Yeah. Some of the higher end players were lucky enough to be able to get over to, yeah. to Europe and play, whether it's a Pinelli or an Offman or a Clark. And so those guys were lucky to be able to get in some sort of games, but there are a boatload of them that are just worried stiff that they never had the opportunity to present themselves to the scouts. And, you know, oftentimes you get into that draft year and it really starts when the previous season ends and you work towards building towards the draft year and then applying all the things that you did in the offseason on the ice to kind of show off how you've improved. And a lot of times it, it might be just a simple thing as the growth of a player, the physical growth, whether they've added weight, whether they've added height, that can obviously have an impact on things. You know, the one thing that was pretty cool is that four you know, current OHLers put together a, a prospect showcase in, in Erie, Pennsylvania. And I thought those guys just did a marvelous job. They had scouts there. They had uh, video links to all the games. 
Um, and they organized it in an amazing, amazing fashion. I have to give those was that guys players who organized that. It was four players wow. with the help of some of their parents yeah, of and some of their, their representatives. That's uh, incredible. Helped out. Yeah, it was, it was super cool. Uh, Andrew Perrot, Nathan Perrot's uh, son who played the national hockey league was, was, uh, was part of that. Brendan Hoffman was the other, there two other players whose names escaped me at this point, but the four of them got together and said, Hey, um, we want to be able to strut our stuff. And what's interesting about, I think the group of four were all re-entry players. And so not only do you have your first year draft eligibles who are really nervous to be able to show off, but you have guys who are kind of on their last chance or feel like they're at their, their last opportunity to make that impression. And so you had a collection of players go to Erie. They did, like I said, an amazing job putting it all together. Uh, so scouts were able to go and, you know, see eight or 10 games in, in some pretty highly competitive situations where otherwise they wouldn't have had anything at all. So it's been really difficult on the group. I, I've talked to some of the players who've reached out to me personally and said, hey, can you help me out? Can you put, post some videos for me on Instagram, whatever else? And so whenever that's happened, I've done my best to try and accommodate because I do feel really bad for that group of players. Having said that, though, you know, the late bloomer, the additional years, as much as you try and tell a 17-year-old, hey, man, it's okay. If you're good enough, they're still going to find you, even if it's a year or two down the road. You don't think that at that age. You, <laughs> Especially, you yeah, an 18-year-old boy. Yeah, <laughs> you, you, can't think, you can't think that far ahead. And so, so to try and calm the nerves of those players is, is, has been difficult. And obviously, they've been leaning on their support systems with families and friends to try and do that. Uh, but I do think that you'll probably see in the, in the years to come, some gems that will be unearthed that were in that situation that maybe at 16 weren't good enough to play in the OHL were playing in tier two or junior B and maybe didn't get that opportunity to be seen that people have inside information on and, and you know, might be able to, to pick up a, you know, a diamond in the rough there. These are my last three questions. Uh, a little more quick rapid fire. Uh, I like to Let's do it off and then I'll let Amanda, but I want to know, and I know there's no can't miss prospects, but out of all the guys in the day, I want a your can't miss prospect, b your risky prospect but has a ton of upside and potential, and c a guy that might be kind of flying under the radar that not a lot of people are talking about, but you think might end up being a really good player. Can't miss is Dylan Gunther. He's just a cerebral guy. He's played under a couple of uh, coaches that have had experience in the National Hockey League, and they both say the very same thing. Whether it's Dave Barr, or Brad Lauer in Edmonton. Um, has a real good history of goal scoring behind him. He's got some size to him. Um, and I think he's very intent on, on becoming a better player and the way that he challenges coaches to, to try and get better, not in an arrogant way, but to sit down and literally sit there and say, hey, why am I doing this? Should I be doing this here? Why is your system say this? Maybe we should be doing this. And so he's that type of guy. In terms of um, the, the prospect that I think has a lot of risk, but tremendous upside is Fabian Lizelle. Uh, he's a guy who scored, uh, you know, probably one of the most dynamic players that this draft class has to offer. But switch teams this year in Sweden, you don't see that very often for a draft eligible player. You know, there's some things, some character um, red flags that have come up uh, away from the rink. There's some selfishness to his play at times. Uh, the ability to use teammates can be challenging for him at times. But all in all, in terms of pure skill alone, I'd probably rank him in the top five in this draft class. So he's the guy who comes at you with some risk. I think in terms of a, maybe a someone who's hidden a little bit later or lower in the draft, there's two guys that come to mind. Zach Dean would be one of them. Uh, the Gatineau Olympics. Uh, I just love the way he plays. He's always around it. He's near the front of the net. He's a pain in the rear end. 
He plays with a little bite to his game. And the other guy would be the goaltender, Ben, Ben Goudreau, who, uh, as I mentioned earlier, won a gold medal for Canada at the world under 18s. Um, a guy who played, put up decent numbers on a, not a very good Sarnia team, um, yet got locked into the world under 18s, won the battle to win the number one position there and carried that through the gold medal. So again, those would be probably two guys that I'd say a little bit lower that maybe uh, people see hovering between that first and second round and, and, and might make an impact in the first. So last one for me, and I really don't want you to feel any sway because you're on a devil's podcast. Okay. I really want your honest opinion. When you look at the past couple drafts for the devils, when you look at the prospect pool that is currently in the cupboard, that was really rebuilt with this new regime. Um, where do you kind of rank where the devils are when it comes to their prospect pool that are not yet in the NHL, but are also playing in the NHL right now? I think the gold standard right now is Ottawa. I think Ottawa set that standard. Uh, I think Tampa Bay is in, in that uh, type of situation where they have the opportunity to overripen their players. Uh, Detroit is a lot like New Jersey in, in terms of being able to stockpile picks and make a lot of picks over the last couple of years, but in terms of where they are in their prospect capital, probably down the road. So when I look at New, New Jersey in the grand scheme, I'm looking at 31 well, plus the 32nd team that doesn't, that is one prospect and they get it right now, but uh, I'd probably say somewhere in that top seven or eight. Um, yeah, I'm a huge Dawson Mercer fan. Uh, you know, I think Holtz is going to be a marvelous player. Mohammy Doolin, if he projects as they think he will, again, you probably hit a home run there and a guy who can I, who I think can add some of that element that New Jersey doesn't have a lot of right now in terms of being able to play with a little bit of bite. So, um, yeah, I'd say probably the top seven or eight in the league. I haven't done an intense study on, on all the teams, but based on the names that I've seen and, and the picks that I know over the last couple of years, I, I definitely say in that top seven or eight. That's not bad because I think, you know, a couple of years ago, maybe six years ago, there was very little in the cupboard. So to be able to really transform, I mean, this is the prototypical way, right? You build your team through the draft. Yeah, no, no question. You have to have patience. You have to have an yes. ownership group that's committed to the long-term vision. You have to have a guy who I think like uh, with Fitzy that's been around it, knows it now has his opportunity to really put his stamp on things. I like the fact that the, you know, that they've kept him and trusted him to move forward. Paul Castron has a long history in the business. You know, Andy Schneider's been a guy who's an up and coming in terms of uh, his ability to have an impact on the draft. So, I like where they are with their group right now. I like the players that they've selected, but it's not just about what you do in the draft. It's about how you develop those players yep. uh, moving forward. So we hear, we hear the term overripen a lot. I think that's super important. I think that um, offers players the opportunity to continue to look at that carrot and to, and to try and achieve uh, that carrot to get to that level. Uh, but it requires a lot in terms of the mental health, that's going to be a real big impact, uh, uh, you know, your ability to maintain uh, the, the mental health portion of a player, especially over the last two years with what we've seen in the pandemic um, and the physical part of developing that player. So you can draft as well as you can possibly draft. But if you don't have those other elements in place, then all that drafting goes for naught. And I think New Jersey's in a real good spot there. Well, thanks so much, Sam, for joining us. I really, we really appreciate it. Always love your insight. Uh, always appreciate it. And thank you for joining us again. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. It was great. Yeah, much, much appreciation, Sam. Really glad to have you on today. Congrats on the new house, honey. What's this? 
carbon monoxide detectors? Yeah, but one on every level. Because you can't see or smell carbon monoxide. And when fuel-burning appliances aren't working right, CO can build up and be deadly. Guys, I'm on it. We just want to know you're safe. At PSENG, we're committed to your family's safety. Know how to prevent carbon monoxide poisoning. If your CO detector goes off, leave immediately. Then call 911. Protect the ones you love. Learn more at PSEG.com slash gas safety. Well, Amanda, that was interesting. I have to say, of all the guests we've had, I think he had a much different perspective than most, not only with the way Seattle was going to go, but just the way he thought some of the fluctuations were going to go in the top 10. And again, this is why we love getting all these varying opinions, all these different perspectives. And what did you think of his overall take? Well, I just, I think you're absolutely right. When he was talking, I was like, oh, well, that's not one we've heard before that, you know, we have heard the names of Brant Clark and Luke Hughes a lot just because of the conversations that we have had, but I don't think we had anyone say that Brant Clark was going to go, um, you know, in the top three at all. So yes, you're absolutely right. It's really interesting. And I'm glad you brought up the point that, you know, when you have these brother connections, you have to remember that, yes, like you can get a certain insight on a player because you know a brother, but these kids are there because of their own merit, not because of who the brother is or brothers for that matter. So I just really love and appreciate the insight that he brings to the conversation that he's not afraid to just sort of say like, nope, this is how I'm thinking. I know what everyone else is thinking. And and very honest with the the way these kind of things are projected, because obviously every draft analyst has their own list. Yeah. When you're trying to mock draft something, you're not going by what you think you would do or what you like. You have to go by what you think that team is going to do. And I think he cited, you know, Ron Francis is a guy that loves to build his down the middle, whether it's centers, which is why most people have Matty Beneers going to Seattle, but centers, D and goaltenders. So that's the way he likes to go. So getting into these GMs perspectives and their mindset, I mean, that's, that's gotta be quite a challenge. And I'm glad you brought that up in terms of the difference between um, a draft ranking and a mock draft. They are, you know, and he really explained it. They're two very different things. One is up against your peers. The other is you really have to get into the mindset as you were just talking about Sam of, you know, the GM, the scouting staff, all those things. So, and I really did find it interesting that he said that, you know, when I asked him about um, OHL players who haven't been able to play at all this year, that they've, some of them have reached out to him, say, can you get, you know, my video out there? And it just goes to show um, just how much these kids are invested in their own dreams like this and how, how badly they want it to be seen and to, you know, have that opportunity. But as he said, you know, there's always another year in the draft to a certain point. But he did say 18-year-old boys don't have perspective. And I don't know. They don't. They don't. <laughs> they really don't. They, really they don't. don't. Trust me. They don't. The narrow, the narrow state. No, you were one. But, like, I know, I know they don't. <laughs> I know. I was trying to defend my oak, but it's, 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 <laughs> it's not. It, we, definitely, you have that narrow point of view, especially if this is, I mean, we're not just talking about, like, your future. Like This is the rest of your life. You know, yeah. Like, and. You know, I mean, the draft is just built into such a massive thing, right? And as it should be, because it is a big moment, but that's a lot of pressure at 18 years old, especially when you're like, you know, it's different this year because, and last year, because you're in your own home and your own environment. But can you imagine like showing up and you don't hear a name? It happens to way more people than we probably know about. I know. Exactly. Big day. I'm looking forward. Big day coming up. It's only in a couple of days away this Friday, Saturday. So make sure you check it out. See who the Devils finally draft. And of course, we talked about Seattle. The expansion draft is this Wednesday. Coverage all throughout the Devils website. So make sure you check all that out as well. Amanda, any final thoughts from you? 
Nope, that's it. That it was a pleasure being on with two Sams. One day, <laughs> Sam, you'll be my favorite Sam. I'm, I'm working on it. I, keep, I got a lot of work. Working. I got a lot of work to put in. <laughs> I will get there. So on that note, that is a <laughs> this week's edition of Speak of the Devils, presented by RWJ Barnabas Health, the official health care provider of the New Jersey Devils. For Amanda Stein, our producer Andrew McLean. I'm Sam Kassan. Enjoy your week. Catch you next time.